Chills from NZ, a podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Kia ora, tēnā koutou katoa. Hello and welcome back to all of you to Jules from NZ. Kei te pehe koutou. How are you all? Kei te pai. I am good. Do you know that sailing is something that New Zealand is pretty good at? It might be something to do with the fact that we are surrounded by open ocean, or it might be something to do with our adventurous heritage. What we do know is that it's fact. You only have to watch the Aotearoa Cup to see it in action. Okay, fine. The America's Cup. But I think it could do with a name change. And today I'm going to tell you about why, as well as telling you a little about how it all started. Treasures from the Vault So the America's Cup is the oldest and best-known trophy in international yacht sailing. The 36th America's Cup, based in New Zealand, scheduled to begin on Saturday the 6th of March and finish on Sunday the 21st of March. And our team this year was Emirates Team NZ. But we haven't always been called that. So let's go back to where it all began. It was actually first offered as the 100 Guinea Cup on August 20th, 1851 by the Royal Yacht Squadron of Great Britain for a race around the Isle of Wight. The cup was won by America, a 100-foot, 30-metre schooner from New York City and subsequently became known as the America's Cup. The American winners of the cup donated it to the New York Yacht Club in 1857 for a perpetual international challenge competition. In 1987, the San Diego Yacht Club took control of the U.S. competition. Since the 1920s, the America's Cup race has been between one defending vessel and one challenging vessel, both of which are determined in separate series of elimination trials. Each competing vessel must be designed, built, and insofar as possible, outfitted solely in the country that it represents, which obviously meant it was kept a pretty exclusive entry. The original terms of the America's Cup donation imposed many disadvantages on challenging yachts. Until 1956, there was actually a clause that required the challenger to sail its own bottom to the scene of the contest forcing a heavier style of construction, one that is seaworthy, than that of the defender. And no, I don't mean they literally sailed the sailor's bottoms, I mean they sailed the bottom of the ship. Until 1995, the America's Cup competition was a best four of seven races, but from that year until 2007, it required five of nine races to win. From 1958 to 1987, each race was run over a six-leg or 24-mile or 39-kilometer course by yachts of the so-called 12-meter class. No measurement on the 12-meter yacht was actually 12 meters, though. The 12 was a result of complicated mathematical formula used in the yacht's construction. Again, not confusing at all. The America's Cup Trophy was held by the New York Yacht Club for 132 years until 1983, when I was born, successfully defending the Cup 24 times without a single loss. 
The NYYC's reign was the longest winning streak as measured by years in the history of all sports. It's crazy. But let's not talk about who took the cup for the first time from the Americans in 18, uh, 1983 because there's something about Australians, bloody Australians, and go straight back to the much more interesting next race in 1987. With backing from merchant bankers Michael Frey and Michael Fay and David Richwhite, we were the New Zealand Challenge. And in Western Australia, we made its debut in fiberglass 12-meter yachts rather than using aluminium. America's Cup veteran Dennis Connor accused Team New Zealand of cheating, but the plastic fantastic KZ7 romped through the challenger rounds, winning 37 of 38 matches. The Kiwi Charge was stopped by the same Dennis Connor sailing for the San Diego Yacht Club in the finals of the Louis Vuitton Cup. But that's okay, because in 1988, not content to wait the four-year cycle, Michael Fay exploited a loophole in the century-old deed of gift and demanded an immediate challenge. New Zealand, you know, we're dramatic, but New Zealand issued a challenge to the San Diego Yacht Club, abandoning the established 12-metre class and returning to the 90-foot waterline measurement stipulated in the deed of gift. The challenging yacht was the KZ-1, a massive carbon fibre monohull with wings extending from the deck like an aircraft carrier. Even in light winds, the 30-man crew had to sit out on the wings to keep the boat upright. And for the first time in the Cup's history, there were two different styles of boat racing each other. The Kiwis in this giant 90-foot waterline boat against the Connors Stars and Stripes, a much smaller but faster hard-winged catamaran. Predictably, the Cat won on the water, and a protracted court battle followed. Ultimately, New Zealand lost because of that court battle, but once again the team had reshaped the event. The 12 metres would never again sail cup races, and the America's Cup class yachts were born! Kiwi Ingenuity winning the day and making giant stamp on the Aotearoa Cup. So, in 1992, New Zealand was rightly recognised as a force to be reckoned with. The new rule about the new class of yachts was restrictive, but allowed the designers and us leeway in decisions to make an impact on performance. New Zealand built a short, wide and light Bruce Farr design, sporting an unusual double-struck keel and no rudder. The distinctive NZL20 was dubbed a skiff on steroids. Skippered by Rod Davis, New Zealand rocketed through the Louis Vuitton Challenger Finals, but controversy erupted again when their Italian rivals, Il Moro de Venezia, mounted a campaign against the NZL20's Bow Spirit. Then leading the series 4-1, to one, New Zealand, the team and the nation, watched in absolute disbelief as the Italians came from behind to win by 4 to five to four, and won the right to a challenge for the America's Cup. Faye and Rich White decided not to back further cup challenges, so Peter Blake, feeling that tiny New Zealand could indeed beat the mighty Americans if we really kept trying, took up the banner. And in 1995, we did. But I'm getting ahead of the story. Peter Blake changed the team's name to the simple Team New Zealand. The simple fern became an element of the logo. And then, in a masterstroke that everyone from the home of the All Blacks could relate to, the boats were black. <laughs>
it seems like a simple thing, but I tell you what, we get very excited about a silver fern on a black background over here. The team concentrated on producing superbly designed and meticulously detailed yachts. Skipper Russell Coates built a superb sailing team, and the ever-present Peter Blake kept the campaign on course and concentrated on securing sponsorship to make it all possible. Team New Zealand's 1995 campaign has widely been described as a textbook study on how to go about winning sport's oldest and most elusive trophy. New Zealanders sat glued to their television sets as new Team New Zealand swept all before them in San Diego. With Sir Peter Blake and his now infamous Lucky Red Socks on board, Magic Black Magic NZL32 rocketed to ultimate glory. I bought a pair of those red socks myself and I wore them as I watched in awe of the queue that's crew that steered this impossibly fast boat over the waves like it was flying, absolutely convinced that my socks and I were helping them go faster. Team NZ won the Louis Vuitton series convincingly and continued on to America's Cup victory with a 5-0 drubbing of Team Dennis Connor's Stars and Stripes. Take that, buddy! And as the Kiwis crossed the finish line in San Diego, television commentator Peter Montgomery delivered the memorable line, America's Cup is now New Zealand's Cup. And it was so memorable, but he got it kind of wrong because, you know, we were back in the day and we didn't refer to it as Aotearoa because how cool would it have been if he'd said America's Cup is now Aotearoa's Cup? And then I'd be right again. See? Just more evidence. In 2000, we brought the world to our home as we hosted the race in Auckland! Peter Blake and his team set about creating a venue like no other to stage the 2000 America's Cup. Peter Blake got financial backing from the government and Auckland City Council to redevelop the Viaduct Basin and his vision transformed a rundown base for a few fishing boats into a cup village. In eight years, the America's Cup was in residence at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, a thriving boat building and services industry grew in New Zealand worth more than a billion dollars. A small country at the edge of the Southwest Pacific Ocean became the holiday destination for millions. Meanwhile, the team began preparing its defense with Tom Schnackenberg heading design and Russell Coates heading the sailing team. 11 syndicates from seven countries turned up in Auckland, and after a bruising Louis Vuitton Challenger Series, the Italian team, Luna Rossa, won the right to challenge for the cup. In a repeat of the 1995 result, Team New Zealand's black machine, NZL60, eliminated the Italian challenge by 5-0. Peter Blake, Russell Coates, and a young Dean Parker were national goddamn heroes. Following the successful defence in 2000, Sir Peter Blake and his management team stepped aside. Within months, Team New Zealand was beginning to fall apart. Russell Coates and Brad Butterworth left, taking key members of New Team New Zealand with them to, film, uh, to join a new team that had to be built from the ground up for Swiss biotech entrepreneur Ernesto Bittarelli. Eventually, Tom Snackenberg and new directors were able to secure seed money to allow the team to begin rebuilding, but by then more than 30 crew members had been bought, and mainly by a lingy and one world. It was a betrayal that Kiwis still haven't forgiven.
The black boats were back on the Hauraki Gulf by the summer of 2000-2001, beginning the extensive training and testing critical to that cup success. However, as the Kiwi journalist Ivor Wilkins said, there was a pack of nine hungry challengers, many of them supported by the richest men in the world and armed with translated Kiwi talents and ingenuity. It was not to be. Team New Zealand lost the cup to its former teammates at Lingi. Just the pain of it, paving the way for the new era of Grant Dalton. The team set about rebuilding and revitalizing the challenge from the ground up for the 2007 America's Cup. As a landlocked country with no access to the sea, the Swiss had to look for a coastal town, and eventually the 32nd edition took place in Valencia, Spain. A series of pre-regattas to drum up interest in the event were held at various venues in the two years prior and were race sailing the previous generation of IACC, or International America's Cup class, monohulls. Renamed Emirates Team New Zealand, the new look team emerged victorious in the pre-regattas and won the Louis Vuitton Cup, gaining the right to face off against that damn lingy for the America's Cup match. New Zealanders eager to support their team flooded into Valencia. With New Zealand flags draped across their shoulders, they lined the canal as the yachts made their way from harbour to racecourse. The racing that followed has been described as the most thrilling ever. And no one will forget Alingi's winning margin of just one second in the last race. <laughs> it was just... It may have been a loss, but we were so close. It still felt like we were back, back in fighting form and back to business. And the 34th America's Cup in 2013 marked a turning point in the history of the event for a few reasons. In the early trials, Artemis Racing had a boat break and flip, trapping crew member Andrew Simpson under the water for 10 minutes, resulting in his death. Oracle used this to insist on safety changes to the boats mere days before the trials were due to commence. There were a slew of safety recommendations brought in, including one regarding the size and location of rudder elevators, the winglets on the base of the rudder blades, and teams scrambled to comply, but it was a definite disadvantage for the New Zealand boat. 72-foot catamarans with massive wing sails squared off, and Emirates Team NZ had become masters of the multi-hulls. The Kiwis always pushing the boundaries of innovation were the first team to bring foiling to the America's Cup, enabling the AC-72 to get up and out of the water on foils, and soon all the teams were flying above the water at speeds of over 40 knots. Some spectacular sailing was seen on San Francisco Bay, with Emirates Team New Zealand leading the charge through the Challenger Elimination Series. Eventually, Emirates Team NZ and Oracle Team USA met at the start line. Another chapter in the 162-year history was about to be written. The Kiwis started the America's Cup clearly superior, but Oracle was catching up fast in a boat designed to perform better in the reduced upper wind limit of 23 knots, mandated after the tragic Artemis capsized training. The U.S. had one of the most dramatic comebacks in sporting history. Trailing 8-1 to one in the best of 17 regatta, the Oracle won the remaining eight races for a 9-8 to eight victory due to a lack of bloody wind. An event never to be forgotten, and it was kind of soul-crushing.
In 2017, after the brutal defeat, the Emirates Team NZ quietly rebuilt a refreshed young and hungry team scripted by Glenn Ashby and helmed by Olympic gold medalist Peter Burling. Developing the campaign in their home base, the Kiwis continued to innovate and push the boundaries in secrecy and surprised the sailing in America's Cup world by launching a revolutionary boat with cyclones, powering their AC-50 catamaran. The boat concept was so far advanced there was no time to be replicated this time, despite futile attempts by Oracle Team USA. Emirates Team NZ won all of the double round robin races except the two races against the Defender, providing the American team with a false sense of hope. Oracle Team USA were racing in the Challenger Selection Series for the first time in history, coming back from a near catastrophic capsize. The Kiwis beat Land Rover BAR in the semi finals, and then the Swedish team, Artibus Racing, in the Louis. Baton Cup final, providing the ticket to the heavyweight rematch against Oracle Team USA, who went into the match with a one-point lead. Emirates Team NZ's push for redemption was swift, and a dominant display blew Oracle Team USA away 7-1, to one, and the Kiwis won the America's Cup for the third time. And that brings us to the 36th America's Cup now. An exciting new class of boat, the AC-75, a foiling monohull, the likes of which had never been seen before, was announced. The AC-75 class rule defines the parameters which a teams can design a yacht eligible to compete in this, the 36th America's Cup. It regulates all aspects of the boat to ensure fair and exciting racing, whilst leaving plenty of freedom for innovation to flourish. Highlights of the AC-75 class rule include strict limitations on the number of components that can be built, including hulls, masts, rudders, foils and sails, thus encouraging teams to do more R&D and simulation and subsequently less physical construction and testing. Supplied foil arms and cant systems to save time, design time and construction costs. Supplied rigging, one design mast tube. In addition, the softwing mainsail concept has been developed for the AC-75 class rule is expected to have a trickle-down effect on sailing in the future. The development of the class rule has been a four-month process led by Emirates Team NZ working together with the Luna Rossa Challenge. The AC-75 class rule sets the parameters for the teams to develop and race the fastest sailing monohull on Earth. The rules are the result of a close collaboration and true partnership between Emirates and Lunarossa. And then, of course, both teams set about trying to bend the rules as far as they can bend in order to give themselves an advantage over the other. <laughs> you know, the definition of true friendship. So we know that New Zealand was going to be the defender of the America's Cup, but who would be the challenger? Well, that was decided in the Prada Cup, which was full of excitement. The Inos Team UK and the Lunarossa Prada Pirelli went head-to-head -head in a first-to-seven wins competition to win the right 
to challenge. They competed against one other team in the semi-finals and pre-race round robins to win the right to duke it out. There were actually supposed to be other teams competing who had filed an application. A second American team, Stars and Stripes from the Long Beach Yacht Club, Malta Atlas Challenge from the Royal Malta Yacht Club, and the Dutch Sail from a place I'm not even going to try and say because I feel like it would be offensive any attempt I make. The New York Yacht Club tried to fight their applications, actually, claiming they filed late, but was told to sit down and shut up. Sadly, the Dutch and Malta teams pulled out mid-2019, and then COVID made the second American team withdraw also. So we were back to four yachts sailing. American Magic of the original New York Yacht Club were the losers of the semis, and they failed pretty spectacularly. There was a lot of showboating and sailing too close to the wind by Dean Barker, captain of American Magic, the same Barker that Russell Coates trained and skippered Emirates New Zealand in uh, 2003 2007 and 2013. Yep, working for the enemy. How, you ask? Well, actually, it turns out that only 20% of sailors in each team were required to have passports from that country. The rest just must meet a residency requirement. They must reside in the team's country for 380 days from the 1st of September 2018 to the 1st of September 2020. So we lived there for a while, and boom, he can sail with them. So you can imagine Kiwis were pretty dirty about it. We take that kind of thing hard, which is why it's so hilarious when he crashed his buddy boat and we had to leap to his rescue literally an olympic gold medal winner and the crew advised barker on a smarter maneuver but barker ignored the advice for a riskier move when he had a big lead and completely wrote off america's chances instead flipping the boat completely and meaning that everyone had to sail out and stop it from sinking to the bottom of the damn ocean shit it was funny and then they had a 4-0 to defeat to Luna Rossa because the repairs were still causing technical faults. And I'm pretty sure they were feeling pretty demoralized and not exactly gelling as a crew after that. So basically, it was the best. I know I shouldn't be happy for someone else's misfortune, but I really did enjoy that immensely. And it wasn't really a surprise when Luna Rossa took out the Prada Cup with ease. There's nothing really worth mentioning in the fight against the UK team. They did okay but they were just clearly outclassed. And so, with that win in the bag, Emirates was set off to face against the challenger, Luna Rossa, on March 6th. Only, that didn't happen. Not even the rich and famous behind this elite sport could keep that pesky COVID away from the race. And NZ was still in level 3 when the race was scheduled to begin. A slight delay in the race, and they were away on March 10th instead. Who would win? How would the new class perform? Three years ago, they were just an idea, and they're supposed to be the fastest yet, pushing extreme speeds. How do they move on the water? I was excited to find out. So let's walk you through what happened. The opening seconds of the first race are crucial. They reveal previously invisible shortcomings and can completely crumble the spirit of a team. Like literally in seconds. I was on the edge of my chair as we watched the team sail out and get ready, sizing up the start line and edging towards it. Both teams have advantages. Luna Rossa have fought to get here, working on their teamwork and communication through the grueling challenges. Emirates, however, have been working quietly, able to hold their cards close to their chest, and not much is actually known about them, which makes it hard for the other team to make a plan of attack. It's an exciting fight with so much unknown with the new boats and each other, let alone what the weather might do with the race. You know, I just can't wait. So, to the action. 
Full disclosure, I watched, but I didn't take notes, and I didn't know all the terms. So I've taken accurate descriptions straight from the America's Cup website to make sure I'm both accurate and don't sound like a doofus. So let's go ahead and tell you how the races went. And if this is way too much detail for you, I support you skipping ahead. But, I mean, honestly, it was so exciting. Day one, race one. As the clock counted down during the last few minutes before the start of the 36th America's Cup, the wind speed had settled to 10 to 12 knots. One of the pre-start variables was established. Emirates Team NZ entered from the left-hand side on the port tack, heading into its pre-start zone at 44 knots. As they crossed the bow, the Luna the Rossa, Prada, Pirelli, with the distance to spare, both boats headed deep into the zone. They moved towards the right-hand corner and jived to head deeper. The pair prepared to lock horns, but as both headed back towards the start line, judging the time on distance for the return was crucial. Both appeared to be early as Emirates Team NZ switched to take the windward position, but each headed up to slow down. Neither came off their foils, but these were precious seconds for both as they tried to kill time. Luna Ross's Coham, Jimmy Spittle, forced the Kiwis, who were windward up further as he tried to control the lineup. But as both crossed the line, the defenders had a slight advantage sitting in to windward, looking to overhaul the challengers. In an attempt to prevent the Kiwis from rolling over their breeze, and Luna Rossa tried to luff the Kiwis and press the button for a protest, complaining that Emirates Team NZ had not kept clear. From the air, it looked like a desperate attempt to prevent the inevitable. The umpires took the same view, and a few toward the penalty. The move had been an Italian gamble that hadn't paid off and had slowed them up in the process, delivering the advantage to Emirates Team NZ. From there, the home team kept their lead throughout the three-lap race, and while the distance between them ebbed and flowed with each leg, it never got larger than 23 seconds, and Luna Rossa were unable to make a big enough impression on the Kiwi lead. After 23 minutes of racing, Emirates Team NZ took the first win of 36th America's Cup in a race that was defined by the first few seconds off the start. But the day was not over, and it was soon time for race two. Without going into the whole thing like I just did, the Italians got an early advantage as they jibed in the pre-start area to NZ's tack, and the Kiwis came out slow. They spent the entire race fighting to make it up, but by the finish, it was close, just seven seconds, but a win is a win, whatever the margin. The Italians had put their first point on the board, and the scores were now even. It looked like the teams were closely matched, and the cup was unlikely to be a walkover for either team. Day 2, Race 3. At the start, Luna Rossa, Prada Pirelli had gained a slim advantage and set themselves up windward of Emirates Team NZ. And as the boats headed out to the left-hand boundary, the Kiwis were the first attack. The Italians paused, waiting for that perfect moment to tack underneath them, and it was a perfect Lebo tack that outpressured the Kiwis. First punch to the Italians. Eventually, Team NZ were forced to tack away, and already the Italians were looking powerful in the 9 to 10 knots of breeze as the pre-event chat had suggested. They stayed in control and as they headed down the last leg they were now over 500 metres ahead. Another Italian point on board as Luna Rossa Prada Pirelli crossed the line to take their second win of the series. Race 4. The rind was trickier in this one forcing the teams to find it on the opposite sides of the course, and the Kiwis crossed the Italians to take a slim lead, rounding the left-hand mark of Gate 1 just nine seconds ahead. In the closing moments of League 2, Luna Rossa seemed to struggle with their jibes, slowed down significantly for a few moments. By Gate 4, 
The Kiwis had confirmed once again how strong they were on downward legs and had stretched their lead to even further to 48 seconds. Talk on board both boy boats was of breeze dropping. The gap between them may have grown, but the pressure was rising. And as the Kiwis were approaching the top gate for the final time, they had held their nerve, sailed smoothly, and this time had stretched their lead on an upwind leg, and they rounded 58 seconds ahead. It was done. The scores were level again. Day 3. Race 5. In the minutes before the start sequence got underway, the average wind speed was floating around the 7 to 8 knots range, just above the minimum 6.5 knot average required for racing. In these conditions, the expectation so far is that this would favour the Italians with the Kiwis less comfortable in the light airs. We're just used to the wind, guys. So when the confirmation came that the minimum wind speed conditions had been met, the racing was on, and the fifth race was about to begin in just eight knots of true wind. In the pre-start, after their match out to the right-hand side of the zone, both Boats found themselves early for their passage back to the start line, and this again meant slowing down. But this was a risky move with the threat of coming off the foils in the process. So let me explain this to you. They cannot cross the start line until the right time. So they just have to tack and jibe and tack and jibe until they get the right time and then they're allowed to cross. And coming off the foils means coming down and that hull hitting the water and having all that water resistance instead of being up on those beautiful, tall, rudder-looking things. But there seemed like little other option as both boats settled down to the water's surface. Emirates Team NZ were in a trickier position and had way more to lose. And Luna Rossa got back underway and worked their way to the start line. Kiwis were stuck, struggling to get back on their foils and sailing at a deep angle away from the line to get that wind to do so. And they never pulled back from this era. Luna Rossa crossed the finished 18 seconds ahead to take their third win in the 36th America's Cup. Race 6, the second race of the day. The breeze had remained much the same, but the pressure on the defenders had increased significantly. Both boats headed out to the right-hand boundary. Luna Rossa jived while the Kiwis tacked, and the wasn't as good as they struggled to get through a light patch and get back up to speed after it. Meanwhile, the Emirates Team NZ had good speed as they bore away from their right-hand corner position into the pre-Zart zone. As the final seconds counted down, the roles had been reversed from the first race of the day, with the defenders sailing 10 knots quicker through the water as they crossed the start line, while the challengers this time struggled for pace. Across the line, Emirates Team NZ was 1 minute 41 seconds ahead taking it out with that wind, back to even stores again. There was a small problem on day four, and the winner of the day was the weather, as the wind just refused to blow, and the race was called off. Day five, race seven. As the clock counted down to race seven, the breeze was well within limits, hovering between nine to 12 knots, but the direction was not steady, with a variation of around 25 degrees and phasing around every 5 minutes. Basically, that means it was a mess, and trying to catch the wind is going to be tricky. Could this provide the passing opportunities that have been lacking in the previous races? Well, this race was tense, as Luna Rossa had more speed crossing the line, and the Kiwis moved to left to hold them back failed miserably. The Italians had a 150-meter lead set 
sailing high and clamming onto the Kiwi tack. The Kiwis forced attack to starboard, but it was actually in their favour as they clawed back the metres. Lunarossa held by about 10 seconds, leading out to the left, leaving the Kiwis to round the same mark, but tacked off to head over to the right. And by the time the pair came back together with the Kiwis on starboard and the Lunarossa on port, the Italians were forced to tack underneath, and this allowed the Kiwis to take control of the beat. A minute later and Team NZ were fully in charge, rounding gate three 19 seconds ahead, and at the bottom of the second downward leg, they had drawn out that lead to 29 seconds, and from there, the margin simply grew, leg by leg, as Emirates Team NZ took a win, crossing the finish line 58 seconds ahead of Lena Vossa. So, eight race, race eight. Ah, I'm so excited. So far in the 36th America's Cup, neither team had won two races in a row. So was this the moment that the game changed? Their left-hand ship that had been present in the closing stages of the first race of the day had persisted, forcing regatta director Ian Murray to shift the course axis slightly to match the breeze. The breeze had also dropped slightly and was now down to nine knots. Lunarossa were using a larger jib than Emirates Team NZ. Would this pay off in the lighter breeze? It was an uneven start with zero indication of the stress that was to come. It was an even start with zero indication of the stress that was doing. Um, with low breeze, they crossed the course, staying away from each other. Even with being careful, there was massive drama at gate one right-hand mark as Luna Rossa looking like they couldn't trim the jib and the jive, and then the Kiwis breeze dropping, leaving them doing 14 knots to Luna Rossa's 34. But at gate three, there were problems for the Italians. The breeze had dropped even further and their last tack into the ley line dropped them right off their foils. They managed to creep around the right-hand mark and slide out to the right-hand side of the course, but there was no breeze here and the Italians failed to get back up on their foils. And then came the news that the race would be shortened to five legs, finishing at gate five, the final upwind leg. Meanwhile, Emirates Team NZ was still flying and hauling back that last distance. The tables were turning, the Kiwis were flying, the Italians were stuck in the water and heading to the boundary as the Kiwis overtook their opponents. Penalty after penalty for the Italians as they sailed through that boundary. Not that it made much of a difference. Emirates Team NZ managed the win perfectly and while the Italians did get back up on their foils they were now over 2,000 metres behind with penalties on them and just over a leg to go. It was an Emirates win. The second in a row! Day 6. Race 9 today had a very different feel. Today was the first day that America's Cup could be won. Today was the chance for the Italians to redress the balance after a day in which they had lost two races after winning the starts and maintaining their advantage for the first few legs. Today was the day the Emirates team, NZ, could take another step towards winning the Cup. As they came together at Gate 1, the Kiwis dipped Italians transom to take the right-hand mark, while Luna Rossa took the left-hand mark, leading by just a second, but at gate two it was the Italians who were in front, another lead change. By the bottom gate, a perfectly executed jibe by the Italians protected their position and forced the Kiwis to just follow them through. But by the gate three, the Italians had protected their lead once again, Lunarossa rounded the right-hand mark of gate four and there were three seconds ahead as Team Emirates NZ took the left-hand mark. But there was trouble in store as the breeze shifted right, benefiting the Kiwis. And by the time the pair came back for gate five, 
Team NZ had taken the lead, rounding the left-hand mark ahead by 18 seconds. One leg to finish with a distance of 400 metres between the pair. This was too big of a distance to make up with the Italians, but so little runway left. And as Emirates Team NZ came to the finish, they had taken race nine by 29 seconds in the closing stages of the race. A dramatically and closely fought race to place Emirates Team NZ with just one win to take the 36th. America's Cup. Another small problem with race 10 being due to start at 5.45pm on day 6, but a last minute wind shift forced the race committee to just call off the match. We're pulling out our hair at this point. We have just so much anxiety about what's about to happen, but we have to wait another day. Day 7, actually race 10. Home team just one win away from the 36th America's Cup and if the sense of occasion wasn't producing enough tension ahead of the seventh day of racing, the weather was adding extra pressure. As the start time drew closer, there was little sign of the breeze, forcing a complete postponement. But then, as the clock counted down to the breeze, started to build, and after a 30-minute delay, race 10 was underway. Around gate 1, it was Emirates Team NZ that led by 7 seconds into the right-hand mark, while Luna Rossa took the left-hand mark. But as the pair came into gate 2, the game was still close, as Luna Rossa trailed by 9 seconds. At gate 3, taking the left-hand side, leading by 27 seconds as Team NZ Luna Rossa split once again taking the right hand mark in an effort to find a different, quicker route down leg 4 but even if they were to find the breeze the Kiwis were sailing consistently quicker and pulled out the distance to over 500 metres by gave Four that had translated into a lead of 37 seconds. And through the last gate, Emirates Team NZ took the right-hand mark, rounding 49 seconds ahead as they headed off into the last leg of the last race of the 36th America's Cup. A race and a win that would take them to see them take the oldest sporting trophy in international sport after 10 races and a scoreline of 7-3. to three. The America's Cup was New Zealand's once again... Ah, the America's Cup is the Aotearoa Cup again. Just try and tell me after that epic fight that we don't deserve it. Okay. Whoo. Okay. Whoo. Let me wind myself down. So after all my excitement is out now, whew, we need to get real. Because it wouldn't be a good and fair podcast episode if I didn't address even in my excitement for us to be owning this, that there are also some serious problems with the America's Cup. Let's just say it's not exactly accessible or diverse in any kind of way, which is in opposition to everything that multicultural and supportive and respective, respectful Aotearoa New Zealand stands for. Also, New Zealand has actually helped make it kind of even more difficult for countries to participate by choosing that 75-foot sailing hydrofoil monoclass class of boat because it reckons it's a technological edge on its challenges. Unfortunately, this type of boat, while being awesomely quick and swift to handle, is also mega, mega, ultra expensive. This is why there are only three challenges. No one else can afford it, especially right now.
And that's actually why TMNZ is called Emirates. They're sponsored by many people, and the naming rights are sold to the biggest sponsor. In 2004, Emirates, the national flag carrier of the United Emirates, Arab Emirates became the naming sponsor. The deal was struck after the Labour government in 2003 said it would allocate more than $30 million for Team NZ's 2007 America's Cup Challenge in Spain, provided that it found a significant sponsor. The boats are basically giant floating billboards. The companies that sponsor hope that their support makes a statement about the strength of their own business and attaches their name to one of the most elite events in the world. Emirates has stated a commitment to continue the relationship again, and that speaks well of the perceived strength of their company, especially considering the loss they posted after the whole COVID debacle that has hit everything related to travel. Besides Emirates, Team NZ has 11 sponsors, a mix of New Zealand and international brands. It also has eight exclusive suppliers and 70 official suppliers made up of both New Zealand and international companies. Not sure how much visibility they all get. Potentially they all get a little lost, but they definitely sure help that make that boat fly. It's also worth noting how much of the fight for America's Cup seems to take place in a courtroom. From Australia's winged keel in 1983 to New Zealand's plastic fantastic fiberglass boats in 1987 to New Zealand's big boat challenge in 1988 to all the legal jostling regarding the citizenship rule to the use of technology, where the event should be staged when the cup was held by landlocked Switzerland, etc. This has always been more than just a yacht race on water and that also adds to the cost to be involved. But oh gosh, the sailing, and how much fun it is watching them fly. I do love the races and I cannot wait to see it all again. Here we come in 2023, which is where I feel like I am after talking for this long. <laughs> this was 11 pages of notes. I'm not gonna be able to do this all in one podcast episode. I'm gonna have to chop this up. If I haven't chopped this up, I apologize. This is insane. Jules, they're just boats. How did you end up talking for this long? <laughs> Anyway, I should wrap up and get out of here. The New Zealand song that I would recommend that you check out is Loyal by Dave Dobbin. And the reason for that is in 2002, it was actually used as the official song for defending Team NZ in the 2003 America's Cup yachting competition. It also poked a little at the Swiss-based Alinghi team, over half of which were Kiwis. Maybe it's a little bit naughty, but the song has been adopted to mean more than just that race. There's something about the pride of being a Kiwi and fighting for our country contained within it now. So head over to the Jewels from NZ Spotify playlist and check that one out. I'll be back again soon to tell you all about what has kept me so busy and away from your ears and fill you in on the next exciting Aotearoa topic. It may be weeks away because I just can't seem to manage weekly anymore with my life and I apologize for those of you who are waiting uh, religiously out there for the, my next episode. Thank you so much for staying with me on this one and for your constant support. Inohora kakite ano, eroha nui. I love you all and I'll see you again soon. Goodbye.